Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina podcast on the beat. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. More about Johnny T-Shirt a little bit later in the show, but I've got Greg Barnes and Gregory Hall with me. Guys, you are... Uh, both of y'all are on the beat. Ross Martin with the evening off. I hope Ross is doing well in his Monday, or I guess it's Wednesday night. Close. You were close there, Tommy. I know. I was just a couple of days off. I feel like I've been in a funk. Speaking of funks, Greg, did Duke beat Carolina twice on Saturday night? Or did Duke end Carolina's season on Saturday night? The Winston-Salem effort has me wondering what the answer to that question is. Well, first of all, that was a pro-level segue. Um, I think you should be commended for that effort, Tommy. <laughs> um, I'll take yeah. check, Venmo. <laughs> Cash up, PayPal. Yeah. Send me yeah, your recruiting I think tape. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think what transpired between Saturday and Tuesday uh, is really some sort of psychology experiment. And it's not the kind that you would ever want to participate in voluntarily. Um, We don't have to revisit the Duke game, but I have covered, I was thinking about it, and granted these are not all basketball games, but I've covered more than 600 UNC sporting events over the last 12 years or so, most of those being basketball games. I've seen some crazy stuff. And, I mean, I've I've watched so many games on TV over the years, it's kind of ridiculous. I can't say I've ever seen anything like that. Um, so, when you combine that with the fact that North Carolina had double-digit leads in the second half against three other teams in January, um, you know, devastating is about the only only way to kind of phrase that. So is it fair to say there was carryover? Yes. And you know, we, we asked the players that after the game in Winston-Salem, uh, and a couple of them said, Leaky Black, I think his exact quote was, yeah, I don't know about that. As in, uh, you know, probably not, but maybe so. And I think that's probably fair because – to pin all of that on the Duke game, um, I think it kind of dismisses what we've already seen from this team. I mean, this was a team that before Jeremiah Francis hit a bucket right before half, they were down 20 and looking like they were going to be down by 20 at halftime for the third time in five weeks against Wake, Georgia Tech, and Pittsburgh. We're not talking cream of the crop ACC teams here. Uh, and so, you know, that's, was that's it? Mighty, that's generous. Very generous. <laughs> right, right. And so that's that's kind of the, the question for you guys as well is, did Duke influence this? Sure. Is that the only reason? I don't think so. And I, you know, I, I tried to make the case after the game that if the way they played against Duke, especially in the first half, is as good as they can play and it's still not good enough to beat Duke, which is a legitimate top 10 team, that gives us one end of the spectrum for how how this team is in terms of talent and 
how they play together and all this kind of things. But on the flip side, if you get smoked and the game's over against Wake by halftime, that represents the other end of the spectrum. And you know, it's one thing if your A is not good enough to beat a Duke or a Florida State, but if your I mean, whatever you want to call that a D game gets you embarrassed against Wake Forest, yeah, you know, that that just kind of speaks to what has become a very bad season for North Carolina and one that's uh, rapidly, uh, but maybe not rapidly enough, spiraling to the end. Yeah, got. Uh, ooh, we 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 could get into a lot of stuff on this podcast. You you said not the cream of the crop of the ACC. I was thinking about, um, and I mean no disrespect to Pitt, Georgia Tech, and Wake Forest, but I was thinking about like the the bottom of the crock pot lasagna type teams that Carolina's been down to twenty, down by twenty, Gregory. And and the thing is, when I watch this team, and Greg, you you talked about it a little bit there, they should have legitimately beaten Duke, but for a miracle for Duke, and a complete opposite of a miracle for Carolina, they win that game. They should have probably beaten uh, Florida State, but then they go out and they put up these performances. That's what I have never seen before from a North Carolina team. Not a Roy, not just a Roy Williams coach team. I, and to be frank, I can't remember eight and twenty. Totally blocked it out. Uh, so I don't know what they did in those games. I don't think they had a chance to win too many of those games, other than the eight they did win. But Gregory, what is the deal that this team can just so have such a wide gap between what they can do when they? doing it well and what they can do when they're stinking it up. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Right. And that's what, that's what really doesn't make sense. And it's the second time it's happened. Right. I mean, they blow it to Clemson late and then they turn around and they're down the very next game on the road, basically the exact same situation Clemson to Pitt as Duke to Wake Forest. You blow it, you lose in overtime and then you just mail it in which is, seems to be an understatement, which what happened last night. But then you mail it in, you're down 20 at halftime to Pitt. Uh, you lose to Duke. You should have beaten Duke, but you still lose in overtime. And then you go on the road and Wake Forest, exact same pattern, and you're down 26 at one point in the second half to a Wake Forest team that is right there with you in the bottom of the ACC. Um, I, I get the Pittsburgh game, maybe a little bit. I mean, down 20 is baffling. But losing that game isn't as baffling considering how Pitt roared back the first time around. Um, but the fact that you're playing at Little Joel, which what I, I don't know if it ended up being like this the whole game, but it seemed like there were a decent amount of Carolina fans there early compared to Wake fans, and it definitely seemed that way on, on TV. Um, but, yeah, it just... And listening to watching the players post game, um, Ross's article was pretty telling about how they're saying all the right things, but yet we—it's the second time this has happened. Um, so it's kind of like where you don't really know where their heads are at. I mean, subconsciously, they're probably saying, "Okay, it's Wake Forest, tough game against Duke. We got this," and maybe they overlook Wake a little bit. 
too much. But then that doesn't answer the question of where's any sort of fight after Wake comes out stronger than y'all, right? Like that that's where the disconnect in your kind of question is just it's, – it's baffling because normally – like we've seen these this team fight. They fought against Virginia Tech. Hell, they fought against Duke after blowing a 13-point lead down the stretch. They had a five-point lead in overtime. They could have mailed it in then and just let Duke run away with it in overtime, but they didn't because they showed that they wanted to win. That team is not what showed up last night, which there's no answer for it. They didn't really give an answer for it other than they just fell flat and didn't show up. Um, so, yeah, so it's it doesn't really make any sense, but there's still – eight games of basketball to play. So we'll see uh, what happens moving forwards. Greg Roy Williams's favorite thing to always say is if, if I freaking knew the answer, I'd have freaking done something about it already. And, you know, I believe him when he talks, when he says like that, because clearly we don't know what's going on. He has no idea how to fix it. So the question becomes, and I tweeted this last night, and, and this is one of those things where, I, you know, I don't play college basketball, um, but I do uh, take pride in what I do, whatever it is on a day-to-day basis, as do us all. And the concept of uh, getting your face kicked in, you know, I can take the the – the explanation where somebody's just not very good. This team's just not very good and and whatever, but that's not what we saw against Wake Forest. So I asked the question a little bit differently. Is there a way that Roy Williams, what, what should Roy Williams even try to do at this point, other than stay positive, coach him up? Because I think some of the fan base expects him just to go ballistic on the sidelines, whether it's about officiating or, or whatever. I mean, like Gregory said, there's eight games left. There's a month left in this season. There's got to be some sort of silver lining somewhere. Um, Can Roy Williams find it, I guess, is my question. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, And I'll try to to do this uh, efficiently. But I I think think what you need to – where we need to start is – how many times over the years, this is a leading question, how many times over the years have we watched North Carolina play a game and you know, watch any team, but because we cover North Carolina, we'll, we'll speak specifically to North Carolina. How many times have they lost some game, they had no business losing, and we have the conversation, God, I mean, they were out-hustled, they were out-efforted. You, you're wearing a North Carolina jersey. How do you not play with that passion every single night you take the court? How many times have we had that conversation? A lot. A lot right? this year. And, you know, probably. I mean, over the years, the, though. Probably a couple times, a couple times a season, even in the yeah. good seasons. I mean, it happens. Yeah. It's a long season, I guess. Right. So where I'll go with that is I think Mac Brown kind of put it in, in good light uh, when he talked about you know, to have an elite football team you have to have an incredible amount of talent. You have to have talent that far surpasses the large majority of your opponents. Because as Frank Broyles once told him, you're probably only going to get like four games where the guys are operating at you know, 
effort level, you know, playing their A game, those kind of things. You have to be able to win games with your B level game, the other, you know, seven, eight games, whatever it may be. And the elite teams, you know, the Alabamas and Clemsons are good enough talent wise that they really can just kind of step out there and say, you know what, as long as we do okay, we'll win. And people don't like North Carolina, but early in the year, I don't think there's any doubt Clemson kind of took North Carolina for granted. Clemson still played well enough to get the job done. In most seasons, North Carolina is just like that. And so when they slip up and have these bad losses, everybody flips out. It's like, how did they not play hard, blah, blah, blah. But like Gregory said, it's a long season. That's going to happen over the course of the year. I think the issue for this team is that when they don't play to their A level, what happens against you know, Wake Forest and Georgia Tech and, and Pitt, where they just get boat raced, is kind of the result. Because if they're not playing with their A game, they're not competitive. They're not good enough to be competitive. Uh, and so, for me, that's not as that's not as big of an issue as the fact that Roy said after the game Tuesday. And it's not the first time he said it this year. He said, you know, I'm coaching them to do something and practice and they're differently in the game. That is the issue. Like we can talk effort all you want, but if you can't even get the guys or the guys are not able to understand what you want on the court during a game in mid February, that's a problem. Now what's the, what's the reason for that? Well, you know, a lot of new faces, a ton of injuries, some bad breaks, confidence is shot. A lot of different things probably have snowballed to get to this point. Um, but you know, the, the team we saw against Oregon, while maybe not a you know, an elite team, that was a top 25 team. And so to see them kind of get to this point is mind-boggling. Uh, but to actually answer your question, you know, what can you do over these last eight games – I don't know that it serves much purpose just to yell at the guys. I mean, these are fragile kids at this point. Things have gone so poorly for them. They've lost games in incredible ways. You don't want these last this last season to be a waste. So you have to keep coaching. You have to try to inspire them. Uh, and while you are coaching for the day, you're coaching for next year. Because you, you don't want to waste these opportunities. You want the guys that are coming back next year to maybe feel a little bit better about themselves the way the season ends and to be able to take some things into the offseason. Okay, that was a horrible year, but I, I kind of settled settled down and found some things and understood some things there late February, early March. I can use that in the offseason to get better. I, I think that's really where you're at right now is you're already peeking ahead to next year trying to trying to steal whatever silver lining you can find. Yeah, and to your point there, uh, before I take a break, I want to say, you know, if, if a player goes out and he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, there, Roy Williams and Dean Smith and everybody else um, that has high-level teams has somebody that's just as good um, or maybe just slightly less good that they can send out there and say, if you're not going to do it correctly, I'm going to sit you down. And Roy just simply does not have that ability to do this year and we've seen it we've seen a lot of guys make the same mistake more than once in games without um seemingly much repercussion simply because there's no other options for Roy Williams 
on that bench. Let me take a second and talk about Johnny T-shirt. Of course, it's still basketball season, and like we said, they've got about a month left in this one. So Johnny T-shirt's got plenty of your basketball needs, jerseys, uh, the jerseys from the other day against Duke. They've got them. The pants look nice. Um, if you get both, uh, better for you. But it's Carolina, so take a chance. Go to Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street and pick up that stuff. And, of course, they've got football, basketball, baseball, soccer gear, anything you need Johnny T-shirt related. And johnnytshirt.com has everything you could possibly want if you can't make it to Chapel Hill. Premium subscribers, of course, at Inside Carolina get that 10% off their everyday order at Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. And while I'm on the subject of commercials, I'm going to go ahead and get uh, the regularly scheduled break that's usually later in the show done now so we can get back to our discussion, Carolina basketball. You listen to the On The Beat podcast Inside Carolina. Thank you to our sponsors and welcome back to the Inside Carolina On The Beat podcast. Gregory, so silver lining, I thought, and this sort of plays to what I was mentioning before the break there, is that Roy Williams is really doesn't have the ability to, to sit somebody and quote-unquote punish somebody for something uh, they do wrong. But Christian Keeling is a guy that got run early, did not uh, get much run midseason, and I feel like he's played pretty well. Now, that doesn't bode well for next season or doesn't help next season, at least Carolina-related. Um, but it is good to see Keeling actually do some positive things on the court um, but he was frank in that post-game locker room. He said they were embarrassed and not living up to the jersey. Uh, but your thoughts on how he's played? Because I think if we had to pick a, a positive, then it's got to be Keeling, especially from Wake Forest. Um, definitely. I mean, he's shooting – he's averaging 14 points over the last three games. Um, the Boston College game, which is the game right before he went off against Florida State, he played 10 minutes, took one shot, and had zero points. Since then, he's got he's averaging 14 points. He's shot 50% or better in each game. Um, and you mentioned the silver lining and how, well, the struggles with not being able to replace a player who's not doing what you're telling him to do. Um, like if Armando's not doing what you're telling him to do, you have to replace him with Brendan Huffman or Walker Miller. Those obviously aren't the same caliber players, no knocks on them. They're just not. Um, but when you've got an entire team that's struggling, Brandon Robinson, that's out Cole's not making his shots. Then it gives the opportunity for guys like Christian Keeling who can kind of say to themselves and Playtech has done this as well to just be aggressive and you know like there's nothing I have to lose by taking this shot because if I miss it I mean as long as it's a good shot because Cole Anthony's also not making shots so it's not like Cole Anthony's hot and Christian Keeling's pulling up from 15 feet taking away a better shot and so as he's seen those start to go in he's becoming more confident and you could tell he was super aggressive against Wake Forest because he took 14 shots. It's the most shots he's taken all season. Uh, the only other time he took 13 against Oregon, but he went three for 13. He played 30 minutes yesterday in a testament to Roy seeing him being aggressive and taking good shots and playing well. And he's taking 14 shots. He's making seven of them, and he's putting up, uh, he's putting up 15, 15 points. And then Playtech is doing things he's not selling for threes 
Um, he's trying to take open threes. They're not falling. He didn't have a great game against Wake Forest. Uh, he only played 14 minutes. But against Duke, I mean, 36 minutes, 9 points, 7 uh, rebounds, 5 assists. Yes, he made those crucial free throws, missed those crucial free throws down the stretch. But when your team's not playing well and your star players aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, it allows these guys to gain some confidence. And then if you can put it all together, now it's not just the Cole Anthony show. Now it's the Cole Anthony show with those role players, which is what we saw for 36 minutes against Duke, which is why in these last eight games, as far as postseason hopes and whatnot, they, the guys that need confidence are gaining confidence. And you can put it all together. Maybe you can get some wins down the stretch. Greg, let's talk about something um, as we move towards the end of this podcast. Talk about something that, that people are commenting on, and that's team chemistry. And, you know, I have never seen a team that has struggled like this team have good chemistry, at least appear to have good chemistry and everybody having fun, unless it was like wreck basketball and they're like six or seven years old and they're just happy to be there. Um, and they still lose every game. Those kids are happy. Unfortunately, that's not how it works, especially in competitive basketball. But your thoughts on the chemistry aspect of this? Uh, I mean, we can get into the nuts and bolts and into the weeds and talk about what we observe on the court and what we see on the court and maybe on the bench or whatever. Um, but how tough – you've covered a lot of games. You, you said that earlier. How, how tough is it – um, and, and why should people expect everything to appear so rosy when things are as tough and have been as bad as they've been for this team? Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Tommy. And when, when things are going bad, especially for a program that's not accustomed to that happening, uh, you're not going to have guys singing Kumbaya in the locker room. That's just not going to happen. And, I always kind of go back, and I've told the story on this this podcast before, but I believe it was the preseason NIT back in uh, 2009-2010 season. And they they lost one of those games, and I remember walking into the locker room there at Madison Square Garden and talking with Deion Thompson and Marcus Ginyard, guys who had just won a national championship. And they were so frustrated and upset at how things had played, played out. Um, and in the corner, while I'm talking to Dion, I see him cut his eyes. And in the corner, you have John Henson and Dexter Strickland, and I believe it was Leslie McDonald, uh, in the corner just cutting up and laughing and having a good time. And you could almost feel kind of the tension in that room between the older guys who had been there and done that and this new crop of players that were coming in. And that played out really over the course of that year. You know, a lot of different things factored into how that season ultimately you know, concluded in, in the NIT. Uh, but that was kind of a clear designation for me of, okay, like chemistry is not how it needs to be. I haven't really noticed that with this team. Um, I, I think when you have a guy like Cole Anthony come in, he's such a – a dominant figure, both on the court and personality wise. But I think if you watch his interviews, I mean, for the most part, he says the right things. And I think he intends well and he means well. Um, clearly there is a chemistry issue in terms of 
getting all these pieces to work together on the court. And they, you know, they may not be best of buds off the court, but I don't get any sense that there's hostilities towards one another or anything like that. So I don't think that is a problem. Um, I will say, I, you know, kind of to Gregory's line of talking there with, with Playtech and, and Keeling, you can, you can get on those guys and talk about, you know, them needing to score and, and uh, the fact that their scoring is beneficial, all these things. That's fine, but that's still secondary. You know, I mean, when you look at the stat sheet and Cole Anthony scores 15 points on 5 and 19 shooting with seven turnovers, and he was the guy that's supposed to be your number one player, and then Armando Baycott, uh, you know, he had a, a negative 21 plus minus, worse on the team, largely because of uh, poor defense. And Roy was not happy with him defensively after the game. And those are probably your two most talented players. And so if if what needs to happen for this team to have success is to stay healthy, uh, is to have a lot of experience together so you can work through some of the issues, even though you're having to rely on two freshmen being your best players, and they're not really producing at the level that you had hoped, I mean, you kind of get what we're, we're seeing. Uh, and it's just kind of a bad situation, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. You try to make the best of it, but I don't think it's a matter of – I haven't seen anything to suggest that there's, like, some big chemistry issue. I, I just think there's injury issues and there's talent issues, and there's only so much you can do to get past that. Yep, and it, it, when you don't win, it sucks, right. quite frankly. And, you know, it's interesting, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but there's a thread on the message boards about the social media – and Greg, you chimed in on there talking about Nate Britt got rid of his during the championship season, and folks are talking about some of the comments on there. And all, and, and one point I'll make on that: it seems to me that the folks that are so quick to be critical or to be negative towards um, players or to say things um, that you know you got the freedom to say it, but you probably shouldn't are usually the ones that are so quick to get offended when you come back at them. And uh, so I think that, that it's an interesting dynamic all around when, when there's a rough season. We've seen it during the football seasons, and basketball season is a rarity. Um, but, you know, these type of seasons happen. It's just how they're worked through and how they're handled. Be interesting to see how it goes down in the off season as well. And these they're just they're still just kids. Right, like Roy talks about it. Um, he mentions it that his job is dependent on eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year olds. Like Cole Anthony and Armando Baycott are eighteen years old. Um, it's just kind of surreal what you look at. The uh, surreal is probably not the right word. Just unbelievable reading some of those comments that people left on Playtext post, um, and just you see random Twitter accounts and just people ripping not necessarily the team's effort or just, Oh, you're lost. Like what the heck are you doing? And being super mean about that, but just their, like their ability, like worst Tar Heel to ever put on the uniform has been thrown around a lot uh, at play tech, which is obviously hyperbole. But when you're like you said, losing sucks. And so when you're already in that mental state, down that's the being down that's the last thing you want to read whether he reads it or not 
um, even glancing at it or just knowing it's there because what all of those negative comments have done is now we're sitting here talking about it. Um, and people, it's blowing up on Twitter about how people need to be better, which is good, but it just kind of perpetuates that it's there in the first place. And it's just bad. And it's need to understand who you're talking to. You're not talking to a 20 year vet. You can't, you can, you can rip LeBron or any of those guys all day because they, they have shown that they can be better and they should be not a 20 year old Andrew Playtech. Yeah, it's uh, losing begets yeah. everything. Yeah, and it's it's really a matter of you touched on this. You know, when Nate Britt is having to delete social media, when Kennedy Meeks is getting on social media and firing back at fans for criticism, what two months before winning the national championship, when Justin Jackson's having uh, to to get rid of some of his social media. And those are like some of the best teams in recent UNC history. Right. That speaks to the issue. And you know, it's like <laughs> uh, it was after the the 2009 national title where Roy Williams uh, got upset because I think WRL had a poll and like 80% of people said they were happy with the job he had done, even though he'd won two national titles in five years. And you know, granted, you know, a lot of like Duke and State fans probably chipped in on that poll. But he took that personally. And then you got, dating back to the 8 and 20 year, we heard the exact same things about Will Johnson. And as if, I mean, what's he supposed to say? Yeah, you know what? I'm good. I'm not going to play for North Carolina. You know, I may not be an elite guy, so I'm just not going to play. I mean, come on. Any of us would do that if we had the opportunity. You play your butt off and see how it goes. Uh, but... You know, fans fans need to grow up when when they get to that point. Yeah, um, like I, coming coming after kids. Yeah, like I had a like growing up. You have like cyberbullying seminars when you're like <laughs> eleven, twelve, starting to get Facebook pages. But like, you don't see twelve year olds firing at these kids. You see grown like a, like adults. Yeah, Tommy, it, did you have a uh, Facebook seminar when you were eleven or twelve? Um, it's safe to say when I was that age, I played outside Gregory. <laughs> but like in school, like they're like, like is an issue. It is and, crazy, and and I we agree. We shot bottle rockets at one another. That's what we did. Yeah, when we, were really, 10 and we used to have Roman candle fights. I think I still have right. burn marks. Um, <laughs> my kids don't know about that. I hope they're not listening. Um, you know, there's so much more to say on this. It, it is what gets me though. You know, I did like what Roy Williams said, you know, come at him or right. He didn't say, come at me. I'm a man. I'm 40, but, uh, but, but it basically whatever happened behind the bench there at Wake Forest um, that he commented about, but you know, it is what it is. It's kind of sad that the society is like that, but it's always been like that. And I guess it just has gotten worse with social media. I'll tell you this. And, uh, Folks aren't going to like this comment, but I'd wager that 99.999% of the people on a college basketball bench would cook anybody in a game of one-on-one or a game of basketball out on Granville Towers courts. And uh, so when you say they suck, you may want to add the caveat, but they suck less than I do. <laughs> uh, Gregory, basketball, 
talk over. We are on the beat. Not going to spend a whole lot of time on other stuff, but Carolina baseball season starts here around the corner. Tell me what's up with that. I hope that you're doing the, the covering so I can get on you about North Carolina baseball. Yeah, for sure. Uh, season kicks off Friday on one of the coldest days that we've had in a very long time. So uh, that should be fun. But yeah, 3 p.m., uh, Joey Lancelotti is getting the start for opening day. He's primarily been a reliever. He's getting this is his fourth career start. Um, it just kind of speaks to the uh, question marks surrounding who's going to do what. Not necessarily question marks and are they going to be good or not, because um, I definitely think they will. But question marks about who's going to do what, right? Because you've got, I mean, obviously Joey Lancelotti starting. Only four career starts under his belt. Uh, you got a Juco transfer coming in starting at second base and Mikey Madej. True freshman starting at third. Patrick Alvarez, um, right? You're lose, you lost Michael Bush, who was one of your most consistent hitters. Um, you're losing Brandon Martorado behind the plate, uh, which is arguably a super important chemistry building position. So now you've got three freshmen spending time, going to be spending time behind the plate. Good news, Aaron Sabato is back, um, and the only question surrounding him is teams have scouting reports on him now. They know how to pitch him, where to pitch to him, but, I mean, baseball is a long season, and a lot of those teams late in the season had those scouting reports on him, and he still sent them 400-plus feet. Um, so I don't really expect him to slow down that much. So, yeah, so... Diamond Heels back. Hopefully the weather starts to get warm. Um, but there's 16 out of their first 20 games are home games. Uh, so plenty of time to get out there and see what the those guys got going down with Coach Fox and, and crew. Boy, I'd love to bat in front of Savato or behind him. Uh, whoever's in those roles is going to get some pitches. Greg, um, the hiring of John Lilly, we did a podcast Actually, right before I recorded this one, it's up on Inside Carolina on the football side if you haven't listened to it. Um, but a big hire by Mike Brown. Um, a lot going on before spring practice kicks off. Tell us uh, what you'll be doing as you cover the remaining basketball games leading into that spring football. Well, we're going to be trying trying to do some some interviews with, with coaches before spring ball starts uh, in mid-March. And I think all the golf fans listening should be ecstatic that uh, Mac, hopefully because of the Masters, decided to push the spring game back a week so we can actually enjoy moving day at the Masters without having to worry about the spring game, which will be a week later. So that, that'll be nice. Uh, clearly, with the basketball team struggling the way it has, there's been more attention uh, aimed towards football, which is a good thing. And and Mac, you deservedly so, has, has done a good job recruiting, suffered a big loss with uh, Tim Brewster leaving to go to Florida, you know, one, one of the top recruiters in the country, uh, it's, it's hard to overcome that. And so I, I thought he did a really good job, you know, landing uh, John Lilly, uh, who'd been let go from uh, the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, he, he's the guy who's got some SEC and ACC experience. So that that's a good, uh, maybe not a guy that can, you know, fill exactly the shoes that Brewster had, but he's a, he's a good addition. And, a veteran guy who's got some experience around North Carolina. So uh, I think that's, that's a really good hire. And so there's, there's a lot of excitement around the football program. And so it's going to be interesting to watch 
you know, some of these position battles as we get into to spring. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, there's going to be a lot of conversation about Sam Howe and, and what this team can do as we get through spring brawl uh, leading up to uh, the off-season workouts and ultimately training camp in August. We'll be here before you know it. Carolina on the Inside Carolina on the Beat podcast. Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We've covered the waterfront a little bit, probably ruffled some feathers, but it is what it is. Greg, Gregory, talk soon. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.